a couple months ago, we uh, we did uh, we did two series on Luke. We did the back to back series on Luke, but we uh, we kind of took a, a break because we wanted to save the uh, the the last bit of Luke for uh, for Easter, uh, and so. Uh, we, we promised to come back to it, and so now we are. Uh, so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be finishing up the book of Luke and, and looking at uh, the passion narrative, which is uh, the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about the next, uh, talking about that over the next couple of weeks, uh, and then just as a, an advanced heads up, uh, we're going to be rolling right for, into our next series. After this, is going to be on the book of Acts. Uh, and uh, there's a very uh, specific reason we're doing that, and that's uh, because Luke and Acts were actually written, both of them were written by Luke, and one uh, one essentially flows into the next one. Like It's kind of like uh, if you watch Rogue One, and then right away you watch A New Hope, and they kind of like flow one right into the next. You guys knew I was going to make a Star Wars reference at some point, come on. Uh, so... It, one just flows right into the next without skipping a beat. So we're going to, after we finish up Luke uh, at, at the end of this series, we're going to jump right into Acts. Uh, so before we, uh, before we get into the message this morning, I just want to take a moment to, uh, to highlight our, uh, our community portal. Uh, you can find that at promisechurch.community. You can get that on your phone or it's on the tablets in front of you. Uh, and just want to highlight the fact that you can follow along. There's notes there in the today's message section. Uh, and there's also a section where you can... Uh, input comments or questions, uh, and we'll get to those at the end of the message. So uh, if you're unaware, uh, this is Holy Week. We, it's, it's a week where the church typically studies the, the last days, the last hours of Jesus, and uh, the, the days and hours leading up to his death and resurrection. And uh, traditionally, this is what's known as Palm Sunday. We're skipping over that. We're going straight to the Last Supper. So uh, this morning, we're going to open, uh, open up to Luke chapter 22. Uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, at the Last Supper and how, uh, how, that, uh, how, that, has, how that happened. Uh, so Luke 22, starting at, at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So to fully understand what, what's going on here, what's, what the Passover is, we actually kind of need to know uh, a little bit of, of biblical history. Uh, and, and to understand what's, going, what's about to happen, you need to understand what has already happened. Uh, so a, a couple of years ago, I was... Uh, you might recall the the Hunger Games books were were a really big thing, and you know I was kind of you know wanted to see what all the fuss was about. So my sister had the book, so I, I decided to borrow her copies, and uh, and she had the this really nice hardcover set, and so I was gonna borrow those and then take them home and read them, but I didn't want to like ruin anything, so I left the dust jackets at her house just because I'm like I, they're gonna be in my car for a little while, and then I'm gonna read them, so I just don't want anything to get wrecked. So I left those there and just took the books. And uh, so I read the first book and it was it was pretty good and started reading the second book and kept referring to this thing called the quarter quell. And I was like, okay, like this is, you know, I don't understand what this is, but maybe, you know, it's the author doing this thing where they like tell you about something and then eventually later they explain it and all of a sudden you look back and it's like, oh, it all makes sense now. No, I was just reading the third book. 
Uh, I totally read them completely out of order. Uh, and so this whole time I'm reading the book, I'm, I'm so confused about what this is uh, because I didn't understand the context uh, that was actually happening. Now, I, I personally, I blame the publisher because the only indication of, uh, of which order you're supposed to read the books in was on the dust jackets, which I didn't have. So, you know, it's publisher's fault, not mine at all. <laughs> I, I was only two thirds of the way through the book by the time I realized what was going on. It's fine. So similarly, <laughs> similarly to understand the Last Supper, you, you need to actually understand uh, what the Passover is and, and why that's so important. So what was the Passover? So uh, if you're unaware of the story, uh, further back in Israel's history, in the book of Exodus, uh, we hear the story of how the Israelites were in slavery. They were, they were captive in the land of Egypt. And uh, they, were, they were crying out to God for, for release and, and, and freedom from the oppression of the Egyptians. Uh, and so Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh refuses to release the Egyptians, the 10 plagues. Prince of Egypt, all that fun stuff. Uh, not fun for the Egyptians, though. Uh, so Pharaoh refused to release them. God sends plagues on the Egyptians. Uh, and the final plague was the death of the firstborns. Uh, so God had told, told Pharaoh through Moses, I'm going to kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt. I'm going to spare the Israelites. Goes and tells uh, all of these things to Pharaoh. Uh, and we actually see that story in Exodus 12, which I'm going to read here. So tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what you can eat, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs uh, and its inner parts. And, the, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains in the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Uh, this shall be a, uh, the blood sh uh, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So all of this plays out uh, exactly the way it's described here. The angel of death uh, sweeps all through Egypt, uh, striking down the firstborn of all of the Egyptians, but he passes over the houses of the Israelites. Uh, and so, you know, all of this plays out the way, exactly the way that God had told Pharaoh it was going to. Uh, and so Pharaoh finally releases the Israelites. They set off for the promised land. And uh, as a commemoration of this event, as, uh, because this is such a, a big thing in Israel's history, God commands them to, to celebrate this every year as a memorial. Um, now, there, there are three things here that I, I want to make note of that will help us understand uh, the Last Supper. So first, there's a meal. 
So this passage that we, we just read details it pretty well. The, you know, the lamb, the way they're supposed to prepare it, what they're supposed to do uh, with the rest of the meal, all of these things. It's pretty well detailed, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But the, the meal here is a significant part of the celebration. Um, as time goes on, as the, the, the Passover celebration happens throughout Israel's history, uh, it, it's, it is that commemoration. And it's, it's a time for families to come together uh, and celebrate this, commemorate what God has done, uh, and celebrate what God had so celebrate what God had done, and and, and go through this celebration to remember uh, remember uh, their slavery, remember their deliverance, uh, and and that's actually the second thing I want to take note of is is there's a deliverance that happens. Uh, again, they they were they were in Egypt, they were enslaved. Uh, but this is where the nation of Israel is truly established. Uh, when the Israelites first went to Egypt, it was basically one family. It was Jacob uh, and his family, 70 people in all. By the time they left Egypt, the people of Israel were 600,000 men, not including the women and children. So they, they go into Egypt as one family and emerge as an entire nation. Uh, and this is really the, where the nation of Israel uh, is established. And it, again, it's this, this huge event in Israel's history because this is where the nation itself was formed. Uh, so yeah, so that is actually the third thing as well. Is that is where uh, it, the nation of Israel is established. Uh, God establishes the, this new nation. Uh, and, oh, that's why I'm confused. I skipped over a bit of my notes. Uh, so uh, so in, as part of this deliverance as well, the, the, uh, the Israelites were uh, commanded to eat the eat the meal in haste. They they had their sandals on their feet. They had their staffs in their hand. They were ready to eat and go. They were expecting this deliverance. Um, so they they were ready to travel. They were ready to go. And then God establishes the the nation. So it's it's this massive event in in Israel's history. And, and so when they get to the the Passover, when when this happens every year, uh, there there's this remembrance of what God's done. But when, especially in this time, in, in Jesus' time, they're kind of in a similar position. The nation of Israel is once again under oppression, this time under, uh, under the Romans. And, and throughout Israel's history, there have been prophets that have been promising deliverance and, and promising that God will come through. Uh, and so when they get to this Passover time, there, there's, this, there's a duality that the, the Israelites are experiencing. They're... they're uh, they're looking, when they celebrate the Passover, they're looking back at what God has already done. They're looking back to this exodus, but they're also anticipating the future deliverance that God has promised. So they're, they're living in this tension of uh, looking back through the celebration and looking ahead to what God is, uh, God is going to do in the future. So now that we have that context, let's take a look here uh, at what Jesus has done. Uh, going back again to, to Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had th given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Uh, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. So here we see Jesus, he takes this, uh, he takes this established practice of Israel and he, he kind of reforms it. And he, he makes it into something new. But the interesting thing that I, I, that I found as I was reading this is that those same three themes come up again. So first, there's the meal itself. Again, I won't go into uh, to, too much detail because the passage details, uh, details it pretty well. Uh, but I, I, found, I came across this quote from Holman uh, that I, I really liked. And he says, As his last week unfolded, Jesus established a new celebration. The new communal meal forms the heart of Christian worship and will be celebrated until the second coming of Christ, when the symbolism will give way to the full reality the supper anticipates. The breaking and sharing of bread and the drinking of the cup were, inve- were invested with new meaning, demonstrating continuity of the old and new covenants. The body and blood of Christ were given as a sacrifice to secure eternal salvation for all who trust him as Lord and Savior. So it, it, Jesus takes this meal and he, he invests into it new significance, new meaning. Uh, and, and it's something that we still celebrate today. And second, uh, again, we see this deliverance. Uh, there, there are several ways to look at the passion narrative, but uh, the way Luke tends to, tends to write, and, and you see it all through the book of Luke, is he uses Exodus language. Um, there's, th- throughout the book, he's, he's talking about the deliverance of Israel. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, he's, he has come to do for Israel and the whole world what God did through Moses and Aaron in the first Exodus. When the powers of evil that were enslaving God's people were at their worst, God acted to judge Egypt and save Israel. And, and this is what's happening again here. Uh, God is, is acting to save his people in, in, the midst of their, uh, in, in the midst of their crisis. Now, the disciples and the people of Israel, they were anticipating another physical deliverance. They're, they were talking about, uh, they, they were expecting uh, the redemption of Israel and uh, the purchasing of her freedom. Uh, and freedom was purchased with the blood of an innocent. That's, uh, again, that comes back to the lamb that was sacrificed in the Exodus. It's, it's an innocent that is sacrificed for, uh, for the, the purpose of purchasing the freedom. And we're, over the next couple of days, over uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we're going to talk more about this. Uh, so I won't go too far into that um, so that Rob has something to talk about for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but... Uh, so again, the physical the, the people of Israel were expecting this physical deliverance. They were they were expecting somebody to rise up and save them from the Romans, uh, just as somebody rose up and, and brought them out from under the oppression of Egypt. But but God has more in mind here, and, and we see this a lot throughout the Gospels. We see times where uh, you know somebody comes to Jesus and they're like, "I have this disease or or this deformity that I, I want healing from." Uh, and, and Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, what? But it's God acting with more in mind than what we see as, as the perceived need. So, so they're expecting this physical deliverance and, and God comes instead to free them from, uh, from the law, from, from the oppression of the, the sacrificial system. Uh, he's freeing, them from, freeing the people from the law of the covenant. And third, what, what God does here 
is he establishes uh, a, a new covenant with humanity. So Jesus came, and, and we see this again throughout the Gospels. Jesus comes and he talks about, uh, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he creates this new covenant, uh, one that supersedes the old covenant. So no longer were the people bound by the old covenant or the law or the sacrificial system. All of that was, uh, they, they were freed from that. Uh, and, and, and Jesus establishes the new covenant where, where we are free from that. But we live under that covenant today where, uh, where instead of having the sacrificial system that had, uh, there was a the blood of an innocent that would, uh, that you would have to present in order to come into God's presence, Instead of having that sacrificial system where they would have to come and do that, uh, we can now freely enter uh, into God's presence we, because we live under that new covenant. And, and at this time, Jesus also establishes the church. Uh, just as God established the people of Israel uh, in the Exodus, at this point, God establishes the church. So this is all well and good, but, but what does that mean for us? How does that uh, affect us uh, today. And the reality is, we also live in a duality. We, we look back, anytime we celebrate communion uh, or the Eucharist, uh, whatever, the, the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it, what it, whichever term you prefer, uh, they all refer to the same thing. When, when we celebrate that, uh, we live in this duality where we look back at what God has done. We look back at the way God purchased our freedom for us, but we also recognize our reality that we are not fully free from, uh, from the sinful nature. So we also live in this anticipation. Uh, and I'm, I'm quite familiar with anticipation. I, I recently, uh, recently purchased a new car. Uh, but between the time that I put the deposit on it, or I, it's not a new car, it's a used car, but between the time that I put the deposit on it and the time that they you know, got the car certified and, and did all the work that needed to be done to, to make sure that you know, we could get all the stuff done with the government, all that fun stuff, uh, I, had to, I had this time that I was waiting and, and just sitting in anticipation. And I, I don't know if you've ever driven an old kind of junky car and then gotten a new one but had to wait for it. Suddenly, all of the problems that you had with your old car that were like, oh, okay, it's just like this minor inconvenience. Suddenly, they become like the biggest things in the world. Like, oh, I have to keep living with this car that makes all sorts of miscellaneous noises. And, and so I, I became that annoying guy that like called the dealership every day going, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? And so when we, we look at the world kind of the same way, where we, we live in this anticipation, where we see that things aren't right, uh, and, and we want... we. We yearn, we long for the day that, that, God, uh, that God comes to, to make it right because we understand that the world isn't the way that God intends uh, for it to be. So we long for the day that God comes to set things right. Uh, so we, we look ahead and we, 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 we look ahead to the day of Christ's return where, interestingly enough, again, we see the same three themes. Uh, in Luke 14, Jesus tells this parable uh, about a great banquet. Uh, and he uses this to describe the kingdom of God. And he, he's, he's telling us about what the kingdom of God looks like. And, and he says, it's like this great banquet where uh, he invites all these people and then they don't show up. And, and so instead God comes and he, he, he invites the meek, the humble, uh, 
uh, the, the outcast, the marginalized, and, and brings them in and brings them into this great banquet that God has prepared for us in the kingdom. And, and again, we see as well a deliverance that is going to happen. We, we live in this tension of the now, but not yet. Uh, it, we have freedom in Christ. We, Jesus has already paid the price for us, but yet we still live in this world that is marred by, uh, marred by the sinful nature, marred by the evil in the world, and, and, and we see it in ourselves as well. We, we notice that sometimes there, we participate in that evil that is in the world. Whether, whether it's unwittingly or, or intentionally, we, we still participate in that evil that pervades our world. But the day is coming when we will be freed from that. And, and so we live in anticipation in that. And, and on that day, the death and decay that we currently experience will be gone. We look ahead and, and, and we see this. Uh, Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And third, we see another establishment. Uh, At this time, God will institute a a new humanity. Uh, And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about this and and tells of the resurrection and, and what our new bodies will be like. Perfect, imperishable bodies. And in these new bodies, free from sin, we're going to live in perfect unity with God. And so we, we look ahead, we, we see this, we, we yearn for it, we long for this. And as Christians, when we partake in communion, we, we, see, we see what God has done. We look back at what God has done and we anticipate the things that God has, has yet to do. Uh, and we look, look ahead in anticipation of Christ's return when we will live with him and he will make all things right. Uh, so I'm going to take a moment here to, uh, to look at our, our messages. Should we be putting grape juice on our doorposts? Uh, not entirely necessary. Um, uh, again, this is, uh, so as, as we celebrate communion, this is something that we do uh, as a commemoration. Um, I don't think uh, as the, with the, the celebration of Passover, I I, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think that over uh, Passover later on, I don't think they still did the blood on the doorposts, but uh, it, was, it was more so about the meal. And, and again, with communion, this is what we do. This is, uh, we share together in, um, we don't do a full meal here. We just do so, some bread and some grape juice. Um, so uh, it, it's more about that celebration, that gathering together to, to discuss what God has done, to remember what he's done and, and to look ahead to, to what he's going to do. Uh, so this morning, as we conclude, we're, we're actually going to do that. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together. Uh, so we're, we're going to share the Eucharist meal with one another uh, and anticipate what God is going to do. Um, so, uh, again, another quote from Holman here that I, I particularly enjoyed. He says, Do this for my memorial, or as my memorial, means that the ritual of bread and cup is to keep Jesus, his ministry and teachings, in the forefront of the minds of the participants. Just as the Passover meal is to help the participants not only remember the Exodus, but as much as possible experience it, so the Eucharist will be one of the ways the church experiences the living Jesus.